Hi, everyone. It's Michelle with Studio City Now. And today my guest is a fabulous Tom Mulligan. Hi, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you, Michelle. Thank you for inviting me on your show. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we met, was it about a year ago, a year and a half ago at the Hollywood Museum? Yes, we did. Yes, we it, did. I forgot what the event was, but it was a fun event. I drove by. It was the uh, Batman, uh, Batman unveiling, Batman, uh, uh, the new Batman thing unveiling there. And also um, Catwoman. Oh, that was it. And then Lee Majors, the uh, Bionic Man exhibit. Yeah, that's what it was. Yep. I do a lot of stuff there, but I drove Mm -hmm. by there today and it's all shuttered up. And I was like, no. This can't be like this. Oh, I mean, is it totally closed down for for good or just for now? Just for now. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it's a great, great place. Well, my mom and I used to uh, model there when it was still Max Factor. So, Oh, really? It used to be Max Factor. Wow. Max Factor building. Okay. And when when did it become the Hollywood Museum building? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Because I went to the last, this uh, the 2020 Oscars, I went to the Oscar after party there that uh, Roger Neal does. Yeah, I work with Ed Losey, oh, so okay. I didn't okay. come in. Oh, very good. Okay. Yeah, it's a fun place. I love it. I can't wait for it to open, but I'm yeah. reading your perfect. I had no idea you were a producer and yes. um, very cool in that you wrote Just Dirty Laundry. Yes, a play that I wrote in the mid-80s, and it was produced, mm-hmm. a full-length play that was produced in Pennsylvania, and it was critically acclaimed. And um, yeah, basically about these people that meet in a laundromat on Christmas Eve. And they're all kind of outcasts of society, so to speak. So to speak. Anyway, yeah. Sounds like me. Yeah. <laughs> New Year's Day, laundry. everybody else is partying. I'm like, I'm staying close to home. Yeah, right. No, I no, I get it. I yeah, I'm just out doing things I need to do. And then I'm here, you know what I mean? So just trying to go day to day. I know what you mean. So how'd you get into acting and entertainment? Well, it started, uh, I grew up in New York City in Hell's Kitchen. And uh, my mom was a theater actress. And when I was about seven years old, she took me to an audition with her at the Hudson Guild Theater in New York. She wanted me to, she said, hey, Tommy, I want you to see what this is like. So I went and it turned out they had a role for a kid in the play. And they asked if my mom if I wanted to be in it. So Anyway, I wound up being in the play called Street Scene, and um, I play—I was playing my mom's son in the play, and I had my first line. I had to yell up to this window, hey, Ma, give me a dime. I want to buy a cone. And that was my introduction <laughs> to acting. And then I did a couple more plays with my mom, and then I did three or four plays on my own with people who saw me in those plays and cast me in other plays. And then by the time I hit 10, I was mainly into the sports, so I kind of let the acting go. But I guess, you know, it was kind of planted in me by my mom. Yeah. And my mom didn't stay with it. She just then, you know, my sister came and, and uh, was born. And then, you know, my mom was just focused on family and work and things like that. So that's how I got started. And then when I turned 30 or I got near 30, I started thinking about it again. And I, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to start taking classes. And I moved back into New York in January of 80. And that's how I got started. Where'd you take classes at? HB Studios. I took one class with Uta Hagen, Bill Hickey, who taught there, who was pretty well known. And then uh, the Neighborhood Playhouse for a while. And then the one of the coaches there went out on his own. So I wound up working with him for three years in the Meisner technique Oh, okay. in a private studio. You know, we had, we had probably 15, 20 students at any given time in and out. And so I did that. That was about a three-year program I did with him. Spider, his name is Spider Duncan. And then I took other class. I was taking on-camera soap classes. I was always in some kind of class professional acting workshop. I've, I was always in some kind of class in New York. You know, I've had friends who have told me, which sometimes you just want to punch someone when but, they say this, acting is nothing. You just get up and talk. It's like, that's not it. 
No, it's not. It's like voiceovers. It's not just talking. You have to get into character. And what do you do? Well, it just upsets me that people don't understand the work that goes into acting or voiceovers well, or anything well, in entertainment. Well, you know what I say, Michelle? Like I've had, I have friends say to me occasionally, well, acting is easy. I could do that. Okay, we'll go and do it, right? Example, let's say, so, okay, so say you get cast in a movie, right? And you right. get this role and you get to the set, you're on set. You got all these people in the background doing whatever they do, you know, the PAs and the gaffers and the lighting and you know, and you could have 10 people, 15, 20, 25, 30, 50 people. And then all of a sudden, the director says, okay, we're getting ready to, to shoot here. And you do a little run through and then, you know, you're, you're in front of the camera. And now it's like, uh, okay, are you quite on the set? Camera's rolling and action. And in that moment, whatever it is your, your role is, you have to deliver, right? You have to deliver a performance as if it were for the first time, right? And be yeah. believable. And I've been doing this since 1980. And I can tell you, every time I work on something, whether it's been theater or, or, or a film or whatever, a short film, I always get nervous right before I start because I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it again. Like, can I pull this off again? You know what I mean? Can I, am I going to be able to create a believable character? And be in the moment, right? Right. But you do it. And, yeah, I do it. But I'm always nervous about it. Even today, I'm still getting nervous about it. But once I start, then I'm okay. Yeah. So well, it's it's not easy. You know, I mean, to me, it's not easy. I think doing films is harder than plays because when, when you're in a play, you get on stage, you're rolling. There's no stop. There's no cut, right? There's no... You just in movies, I think it's harder because it could be cut. Okay, let's do it again. Cut. Let's do it again. Cut. And you have to keep bringing it right as if it were for the first time. Right. Anyway, that's my that's my perspective on it. I worked on something with a bunch of um, I guess they were teenage girls. Mm -hmm. And of course, the nightmare went through me like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? They're 13 year old. Right. These girls were amazing because oh, okay. like the mean girls. Camera stopped. Oh, oh my okay. God, I missed you so much. And they went off and did their thing and they got back on on camera. It's like, oh, you're going to wear that? Go away. I mean, it was amazing. Just And this, this was a film? This was a webisode, but just watching them go in and out of character. Right. At that young age. Yeah, interesting. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, I know my limitations. I could never do what they did. Okay. And they'd been training since they were like five. So, oh, okay. Well, there you go. They've been training, right? And studying. And... Oh, yeah. It's so a process. Yeah. No, definitely. I, no, definitely a process. That's that's for sure. And I know you play hockey. Yeah. What's, I'm sorry. What's that, Michelle? I know you play hockey. Yes, I still play. I just do pickup. I, like I skated this morning. Mm -hmm. I usually skate on Monday at 11 o'clock skate with a bunch of guys that I know. And uh, it's mostly guys that are 50 and over. Uh -huh. uh, but they're all still really good players. They can all still fly and play. So, yeah, I play two, three times a week. That's my other love outlet outside of acting. And I love to skate, and I hope I can continue to do it for a long time. I have a feeling you will be. And that's something you learned in New York, correct? Yeah, I started playing probably when I was five or six years old, playing roller hockey first. Because mm -hmm. we, we didn't, you know, we grew up kind of poor. My father was a dock worker and longshoreman and, um, uh, uh, we didn't have much money, but anyway, we played roller hockey. And then when I got older is when I got into ice hockey, my teen years. But yeah, I've been playing since I was pretty young. Kept you out of trouble, I guess. And, <laughs> yeah, keeps you, and, and I also coached peewee hockey here in California for 15 years. Oh, wow. Do you still do it? The Tri-City TCI, no, Tri-City Hockey League in, out of Oceanside. 
No, I, it got to the point where I got so busy with acting and the film festival stuff that I was missing practices and missing games. And I just felt it wasn't fair to the kids anymore. So I, I had to let it go. It sounds like you really enjoy doing it. Oh, I love working with kids and love teach, especially teaching. It was a developmental league. So you work with a lot of the kids who were just starting to play hockey, which I loved. Mm-hmm. And it was boys and girls, you know, both. And, um, and I miss it. And actually, I was thinking about coming back to it this year, part time. And then COVID hit. There you go. You know, it was definitely on my mind. I said, Oh, you know, maybe I'll do some part time coaching. I'll talk to the president of the league there. And they always like me. So but uh, yeah, COVID hit. And that 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 was that. Yeah, it's, um, it really shut this, not just the country, the world down. Yes. But the good news, we're slowly opening up. It seems like it a little, a little bit here and there. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yep. Here in California, right? The salons just opened recently and uh, restu- outdoor dining is open again. I've been going out to dinner two or three times a week. Well, this week. <laughs> okay. Oh, this week. Okay. But out- is it all outdoors, right? I mean, I'm assuming there's no indoor dining in restaurants in LA, right? Right. It's all outdoors. People have, or the restaurants have, um, you know, the outdoor heaters. Right. It's, you know, to me, it's like, Finally getting out, finally getting things almost normal or just sure. getting some normalcy. I agree. And also supporting the restaurants, right? That, that's how I partly look at it, too. You know what I mean, Michelle? Yeah. Um, like I go to my favorite restaurant here is Broken Yo Cafe uh-huh. down in San Diego, breakfast place right near me. And I was going, I've been going at least a couple times a week when they opened. I mean, they were open actually even though – the outdoor dining was not open. Mm-hmm. They opened as a peaceful protest and they had a sign that said, this is a peaceful protest supporting restaurants and small businesses across this country. And so I was going twice a week as a support because some of them, that's how they make their living from, you know, they wait, waiters, waitresses, that's how they're paying their bills. So in my mind, I think, well, I'm, you know, I could always, I love cooking here. I cook for myself, but no, I'm going to go a couple times a week and eat there and leave them a good tip and, help support them. Oh, you know, uh, most people here work their way through college being a server. When the restaurants here closed, you know, my thought was, because that's how one of the ways I work my my way through college. Right. That these people are living paycheck to paycheck. And yes. I just really felt for them. But, well, I did too. You know, like I think something like 100,000, over 100,000 restaurants closed in 2020 in this country. Oh, you know, because of because of COVID, that's a lot. My family owns a restaurant in Agora Hills. Oh, they they closed. They totally closed. No, they were takeout only, but oh, okay, barely. Yeah. And their staff had been with them. You know, that was their staff's career. Yes. I don't know how they're doing now because I haven't been out there. Right. But back to this. Yes, but it's good that you're going. I mean, it's good that you're going, you know, going out to restaurants a couple of times a week and, oh, yeah. You know, feeling a little normal, like I said, feeling a little bit normal again and helping support them. Yeah, even that's a good thing. Walk to Starbucks or to Coffee Bean. Mm-hmm. It's nice to see people out again. Sure. Yes, definitely. I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Well, what's happening? Hopefully, hopefully that trend continues here. I'm sorry? Hopefully that trend continues. Yes. Knock on wood. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. My dog will bark. <laughs> oh, okay. 
I'd like to actually, I'd like to, I wish, I hope the gym's open soon too. Me too. Um, I miss that, but uh, yeah, hopefully that'll happen soon. So we'll see. Yeah. You told me that you really got in shape during lockdown doing yoga. Yes, actually I started doing yoga. It's something I've been thinking about for a number of years. I used to do it back in the eighties in New York here and there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I started, I saw a new place open up here in Oceanside where I live, and I decided to start taking classes. So I took about four classes, and then the shutdown came. But I liked it so much, I thought I'm going to continue to do it. So I just started going on YouTube and Googling, you know, yoga exercises mm-hmm. and started following, mostly, it was mostly women, yoga instructors. And um, I started doing it. I do it. I've done it every day. I do it every day, ever since this whole thing started. Mm-hmm. And it's making me, I feel a lot better. My, my breathing is better. Uh, my body's changed. You know, I'm much more slender. I've, I've got more slender, compact. Uh, so I will do it for the rest of my life now. Well, um, we spoke, I think, a week or two ago. It actually inspired me to start working out in the morning because of that. So- oh, I know. I, yes, you sent me You sent me a, a text on that. that. That's great. It makes me happy that I inspired somebody. You, you know, know, that's it's- good. It's just 10 minutes in the morning, but it gets me going. And I too see the change. Just I can breathe easier because I gained some weight during lockdown. Sure. I think you're the only other person in the world that didn't gain weight. Well, but- that's because I, well, I work out every day. I mean, even without the yoga, I've got a, a stationary bike here. Mm-hmm. So I ride that every day, sometimes 30, 45 minutes, an hour, or say late at night if I'm watching something on TV. Like the Super Bowl yesterday, mm-hmm. I rode almost the whole first half. Oh my gosh. Non- nonstop. So I got my bike workout in and then I have light weights and I have the stretch bands and I work out pretty much every day. And then I have the hockey too. So that's why I, I've stayed in shape because I refuse to, because the gym's closed. I thought, you know what? I'm not going to let myself get out of shape. I'm not going to do that. So, and it helps keep the mind good, you know, clear, occupied with all this stuff, right? Isolation. Yeah. So I would say it helped a lot with that, Michelle. Yeah. Where I am, well, there's one man in my building that works out every day, mm-hmm. and we see him work out. Okay. But uh, pretty much everybody else just said, oh, this is going to last like a month tops. And we went on a food frenzy. Oh, oh, you mean back at the beginning? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. I know. Yes, a lot of my friends thought it would be about a couple of weeks a month, and here we are almost coming up on a year later almost. I have one roll of toilet paper left. I didn't hoard it. I happened to buy two of the huge big things at Costco. Okay. Like a month before this happened. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah, I have another roll left. Cool. What was with the hoarding of toilet paper? Well, I think, well, back in the beginning, I guess rumors started flying that, that, that uh, everybody was buying up all the toilet paper. And so other people were rushing in to buy it. And so any paper, like toilet paper, Paper towels and even napkins, right? We're gone. Uh, it was crazy for a while, but I think it just, you know, people got worried. And then even with some foods, the food stuff uh, was running out because people were buying, you know, huge amounts. And then they kind of put like a Trader Joe's, they put limits on things like two per, two per customer of an item. And I think most, I adhered to it. I think most people did. But for a while, yeah, it was definitely out of control. It was like communist Russia, because I'd go into... Yes, that's true. That's true. That's right. Yes. Because like at Ralph's, it was like you could only buy two pounds of meat or two packages of chicken or... And I'm not worried about stuff like that because I've always kept canned foods, but... Yeah. 
Um, Actually, I think they're having a, a toilet paper problem in Russia right now, I believe. Because <laughs> we took it all. I think I, saw, I think I saw something about that, that they're running out of toilet paper or something. I don't know. Anyway, anyway um, <laughs> interesting. But if you need that much toilet paper, you have other issues going on. That's right. There's, there's a lot of other things, you know, to worry about. Like, okay, fine. Whatever it is, you know. Like I got, I got, a, I was lucky back then, couldn't get paper towels or toilet paper, but I got napkins, uh, big packages of napkins at some store. That kept me going for a while. And then finally toilet paper and paper towels started coming back again. Overabundance of paper towels for some reason. But I had no qualms sharing what I had with other people. Right. Yeah. And my big oh, yeah, I did. I shared some of my stuff. And then there's people who shared some stuff with me and. Yeah, I had gone into Gelson's uh, the day everything shut down. And I my big thing was making sure my dogs had food. Because, you know, you and I right. can eat 7-Eleven food if we wanted. Sure. But the right. dogs can't. Right. So I bought like 50 pounds of dog food. Oh, okay. And I waited in line behind people who had four and five carts of paper goods. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know. I saw that, too. And what would happen is... I know one of the, I guess, Walmart stores, the manager told me it comes in at a certain time on every, like every three days or so, they would get a shipment in, but people were lined up waiting already. And yeah. he said, you got to get here like an hour, at least an hour before the delivery comes. So one time I went and I waited in this long line. And then by the time I got up there, it was all gone. The whole shipment. Amazing. So anyway, but hopefully that won't happen again. And, you know, it's been, I mean, it's been okay for definitely for the last, since the summer, right? It was only the first few months. I think that was an issue. True. The other thing is that people were getting friendlier or more polite. Like I'd see it on parking lots, even in the store. I think once after the initial run, people realized, you know, we're in this together. Right. No, definitely. Like I said, Trader Joe's, which is like most where I mostly shop, they had, Signs saying two of an item per customer, no more than yeah. two. True. Now you can go back the next day and get more, but only on that you know day, and that and that was good. So I'd say by midsummer that went away, maybe maybe August or so. Then I just opened it up normal again. So we'll just see. We'll see what happens here. Yeah, it's coming well, there's still lines at Trader Joe's, but because of age, I get to jump the line, and I do. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and because I'm still an essential worker. Right, because uh, you're a nurse. Yes. Right. No, definitely. Oh, yeah. I was going to go back to work as a uh, first response, <laughs> and then I just said, no, I'm not doing this. But I kept the license up again in case of anything. But mm -hmm. back to your career, because I just saw all sorts of things. Okay. Well, but you had asked me about producing before. So right? I also produced a feature film called Callus. Okay, so that was produced in, I produced that, and that was filmed in, in October, September, October 2007. And it came out in 2009, and it wound up winning a lot of Best Picture Awards at festivals and got distributed and, and things like that. So artistically, it was successful, and it was based on a true story about child abuse and family dysfunction. And the guy who wrote it, it was his life story. Oh, and he was, he was an actor. And anyway, so I thought the story should be told. 
And, um, you know, it was very indie, but like I said, it did. I never made a penny back on it. I put quite a bit of money into it. Artistically, it was very successful. Hopefully it helped people who saw it, it helped. So Now, where can we find that? Um, it's, on, it's on Amazon. It's still on Amazon. Okay. And it's, it's available to either uh, to download, you know, you can download it, watch. So, yeah, it's definitely still on Amazon. Oh, C-A-L-L-O-U-S, yes. Okay. And then I have a couple other films that just came out in November on, on uh, well, one of them is called Sweet Taste of Souls. It's a psychological horror thriller. I have a nice co-star role in it. And that's on um, Amazon, DirecTV, ATT Direct, Fandango, Voodoo, Flixfling, mm. and one other, one other site. Amazon, DirecTV, ATT Direct, Video on Demand. Yeah. And then Paid in Full, a movie I actually did back in 2016 in Detroit, finally came out in November. And that's available on Amazon as well. Just Amazon. But those I acted, I didn't produce. I acted in those. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw the awards. Um, Indie Film Festival nominated. A Cerdo Film Festival nominated. Top Indie Film Awards. You're talking about Callus? Actually, other films. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I know Sweet Taste of Souls won a bunch of awards and Peyton Full has won some awards. My film, The Witching Hour, that I co-wrote and co-produced with my friend, Lizette Ben-Ray, and co-started with her, uh, that's mm-hmm. won a lot of awards. And I got actually, I got my first Best Actor Award ever after all these years of being in this. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've been nominated for stuff before, like in theater, but I never won anything. And then uh, at, in November 2019, the film had been in the Marina Del Rey Film Festival in Hollywood at the Chinese Theater, and I was nominated. I was voted to be best actor in a short film oh okay my role in the witching hour so that was my first best actor award i had ever received in over 40 years of doing this craziness you know pretty cool (laughs) yeah yeah if there was a red carpet there i might have been there uh yeah there was i mean they had the awards night it was at the um what's the name i forgot the name of the place there it wasn't at the chinese theater it was um it was upstairs no it was um Actually, it was a place out near the airport. It was this big lounge, this big place. I forgot. I don't know. I don't remember the name of it. Anyway, that's where they had the awards thing. The the, the Proud Bird, I think it's called. Yeah. The Proud Bird or something like that. Yeah, it's a big place, big, huge venue. And uh, the guys that run that festival, they run four other festivals as well. Wow. And they're all pretty good. Like, yeah, they run a couple of other festivals as well. But anyway, we had sent the film. The film got in there. The Witching Hour, and then and then I won the Best Actor Award at that festival for a short film, in a short film. And also I see Culver City Film Festival you won too. Yeah, we won Best Short Film. Mm-hmm. I think it was Best Short Film, and then we won, be- won, we won a couple of Best Short Film Awards, Best Lighting Award. Uh, Le- Lizette, my writing partner, won the Best Actress Award in a short film at the uh, Golden State Film Festival earlier in the year, in 2019. Wow. Very, yeah, you know, essentially, I mean, I was shocked, you know what I mean? I mean, because I would, I'd never, I would never expect it. Like I said, I've been nominated for films and theater over the years for stuff, but never won. And so I was pretty shocked when I, when they called my name, you know, and said, hey, uh, best actor award in the short film goes to Tom Michael Mulligan. And I thought, oh, wow. <laughs> well, it was like kind of surreal, you know what I mean? But it was nice to get it. So, so what are you working on now? I'm working on, um, I just finished a short film called The Chair mm-hmm. about a week and a half ago. And it's a kind of su- supernatural thriller. 
And then I'm working on this feature film called Night Hunter. And it's a very dark, edgy, dark film having to do with drugs and drug use and, dr- and, and the ripple effect of drugs on people and families. And so, yeah, that's and I'm playing a pretty edgy character in it. Pretty bad yeah. character. So I got a couple more days of film. I think I have two more days of filming and then I'll be done on that. And then some other things are kind of on hold because of COVID. So you're working and a lot of actors are not. Well, the reason some are not working is because they do, they're still afraid to get on set. And I worked a lot. I worked more in 2020 during COVID than I ever have in any other year ever in all the years I've done this. I probably took some risks, you know what I mean? And because some of my friends, but some of my friends didn't want to do it. You know, did, uh, we're afraid to get on set. Yeah, I've been on set a couple of times and they always have you do that uh, quick 15 minute COVID test. Right. Right. And I've been on nobody's tested positive. Yeah, the one that I did, the short film I did was a SAG short. And so they were going pretty strict. Uh, But we had to we had to bring proof of being tested to like the day two days before. You know, we Mm -hmm. came to set. I had to show a receipt showing that my test was negative. And about every 30 minutes, they were spraying our hands with with, uh, you know, a spray uh, hand sanitizer. And a guy was coming around and everybody's wearing masks. All the crew wore masks the whole time. And the actors were too. And then until we got it on, on set in front of camera. And then, of course, we took the masks off. So, And they were taking temperatures. That's it. But no, they had no COVID testing going on there. Yeah, I did a game show and they tested us on set. And they actually had a tape measure to make sure everything was six feet apart. And oh, there was really? a surprise inspection by the health department. What what game show was that? I'm I'm not going to say. I'll oh. tell you later. Oh, okay, okay. Is yeah. has it been on yet? Uh, no. Oh, okay. No, okay. when it is. Nice. I'll t- okay. We know what it is too, Michelle. I think the bigger the pro, like if it's a big, if it were a big studio project, they would mm-hmm. have a, uh, a a COVID compliance officer on set. And you know what I mean? They, they would be doing a lot more stuff. Yeah. You know, but in these smaller productions, they don't have huge budgets, so they can't go and quarantine people for two weeks. They don't have time or the money to do it, right? So it's it just depends on the project. But I, lo- I look at it this way. I mean, you could this you could get this. I could get it going grocery shop. I could get it going to the gas station. You know what I mean? So I, you know what? So I'm just going to take some risks and you know, take good care of myself and try to be as careful as I can. And so far it's been okay. Me too. I, I just find more conscientious about keeping things clean. Yeah. But, um, you know, I'm always washing my hands. I'm always hand sanitizing my hands. If I go into a store and touch anything, I get in my car, I have hand sanitizer in the car. I I just Mm -hmm. immediately, you know, wash my hands off again in the car, Uh, you know, constantly doing that. So, but you know, I was doing that before. Right. And I used to always wear gloves even before this when I went oh. to the market. Oh, really? Pla- like uh, pla- uh, well, was, uh, medical gloves? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. We have a homeless population here. Yes, I know. And I just, um, I was just afraid to touch anything they touched. Sure, sure. Yeah, you know. I, I don't I don't blame you. I actually funny, I bought I have a whole box full of those medical blue medical gloves mm-hmm. that I had bought when it was, you know, when they remember when they said we needed to wear we should well, we should wear gloves. 
Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and and so then there was kind of a run on gloves for a while. They were hard to get for a while. There's a period of time. But anyway, I bought a whole box of them, and I've used. I I still have a ton left, so I have plenty if I need them going forward. You know. Well, I always use them. I also bake bread, so I'd wear the gloves when I needed bread, so I wouldn't get it mm-hmm. all over my hand. You know, walking dogs. It's you wear gloves when you pick up and. Yeah, well, actually, when the gym was open for a while, when they remember they reopened the gyms for a while, and so I was wearing the gloves, actually those blue medical gloves in the gym when I worked out. Yeah, Gold's Gym used to make you wear a face mask and gloves. Oh, okay. Oh, and the mask too. Yes, we had to wear the face mask as well. But I always wore I wore those gloves working out, so those those came in handy. So it was actually LAPD and officers. Like a year and a half ago, before any of this, is the one that got me to wear gloves when I went to the market. Mm-hmm. So I had the black gloves, so it looked kind of weird. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, it, everybody's got their little thing. I mean, actually, I about 10 years ago, I started carrying hand sanitizer in my car. A friend of mine, uh, a close friend of mine who passed away a couple of years ago, a very close friend. Anyway, she was very picky about you know, about germs. And she was always washing her hands and wiping down her phone. And she told me, you, Tom, you need to carry, you know, you need to have hand sanitizer in your car. You're in and out of those stores handling stuff. And I took her advice. So I was already doing that. You know what I mean? But Mm now, I mean, since this happened, I'm doing it even more. You know what I mean? I do know. Even in my own house, if I touch stuff in the, in the cupboard and then I'm going to touch food, I make sure I wash or hand sanitize in, in, in the house here. So, yeah, most definitely. Oh, I was using hand sanitizer um, to wipe down my bathroom counters when it was pure alcohol. Oh, that's a good, and, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, the bathroom. <laughs> right. Right on. Yes. Mainly because I saw a lot of cases of hepatitis. Mm-hmm. Nursing and that's, you know, toilet to. So I just always was very conscious of that. But anyway... Back to this, because I know we could talk forever. Okay. (laughs) And I think we did the last time, like two hours or something. Oh, yes, we did. We had a long conversation. That's for sure. Yeah, it was was nice. It was very, very nice. Mm -hmm. So what are your plans for the future? Uh, I'm sorry, what are the plans for what? The future to continue acting or? Yes, I'm going to continue acting. And the film, I have the film New Hope Film Festival that I co-founded 12 years ago. We're heading into our 12th year. So I'm busy with a lot of that, watching films and reading scripts. Uh, so continue with that. Um, I have a couple of other feature projects that I'm connected to, but are kind of on hold. Uh, mm-hmm. One is going to be, was supposed to shoot in Detroit in 2020, in August, but that got canceled. And that one, I can't really talk about, uh, about what it's about, but it's a, a kind of a, a suspense dramedy and I'm, okay. I'm going to be the lead in that one. If it ever, if it ever comes off and yeah. yeah, I'm just, yeah, I have other stuff I'm trying to line up, but nothing. Oh, Oh yes. And then there's a film called Julia styles that I've been cast in. I just signed the contract for a couple of weeks ago and it's a uh, romantic comedy road trip chick flick about oh. a woman who's looking for love. She's these two women are both over 50 and one of the women is a huge talk show host. And she's kind of like a, I don't know, like a, I don't know who, who, who I compare it to. Um, Oprah? Yeah, kind of like Oprah. Yeah, kind of like that that level, like 
really well known, but she has no love in her life. She has everything else, money. So she and her girlfriend go on a road trip to find true love. And so I'm going to be playing a director, a famous director in the film. And they're shooting in L.A., New York and New Orleans. My scene is going to be shot in L.A. So that's in June. So that's my next thing I know I definitely have because I signed a contract for it. So very cool. So if it's shooting this year, it'll be released 2000. They have a schedule for June and July of of, uh, 2021. It's Sandra A. Smith, Tiger, uh, Tiger Eye Productions. And she's the one that cast me in it. And I'll tell you a little interesting story about that. I, in 2019, I got asked to host the Lanfa Awards in L.A., which is a pretty big uh-huh. award show. And and anyway, I was a last-minute replacement because somebody got sick. And I wound up hosting it. I was supposed to come in as a co-host. And that's how I met Sandra A. Smith, who was there. And she wound up co-hosting. I hosted and she co-hosted. And that's how we became friends. And then she started telling me about it. So I have a feature project, my first feature project coming. And I'm going to keep in touch with you. And I think, you know, I'd like to, like to have you in my film, my feature. And she, that was back, that was like August of that year. And then in January, January, she got in touch with me of 2020 and said, hey, I've finished the script and I have this role that I want you to do. And, you know, I'm going to keep you updated. And that's how it kind of went. But it happened because I met her at the Lanfa Awards and she was my co-host and we kind of hit it off and she liked me and checked me out and wound up offering me a role in the film. So it's meant to be. You never know who you're going to meet. You know what I mean? You never know as you go through this industry who you might meet that might have an effect on your career or you might have an effect on their career. You know what I mean? You just never know. Yeah. Um, So I feel pretty blessed and lucky about that, that that happened. Yeah. I just looked up Lanfa Awards because I know it's a big award show. I've never seen it. Yeah. I've never been to it, but. Well, I was, it's, it's, it's a friend of mine, an actress friend who was a part of it. Well, she was getting an award, some kind of Best Actress Award. And she said the, head, the the guy who ran it, this guy, King Basie, ran it and asked her if she knew of an actor, uh, kind of like fit this description, blah, blah, blah. The guy that's supposed to do it got sick, can't do it. This is the night before. And, and she, she called me and she said, hey, um, how would you like to come host the Lanford Awards? I didn't, I honestly didn't know what they were, first of all. And secondly, I thought, well, you know, on short notice, I don't know, you know, and I, I do with the New Hope Film Festival, I do do the awards presentation every year. So I do have that experience. But to go and do it with people I didn't know and didn't know how it was going to work. And at first I, I said, no, I said, you know, I think I'm going to pass. They said, oh, no, I think you should really do this. And this will be great. And I highly recommended you. So I decided to do it. I'm really glad I did, even though it was kind of nerve wracking because there was a lot of people there. You know, it was a big, big event. And I only had gotten that morning when I got there, I, I only got the program of how it was going to go. You know, I didn't have a week to work on it. I had to kind of just do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But we got through it, myself and Sandra. And we actually worked really well together, considering we had never met before. You, you know what I mean, Michelle? I do know. You had that, uh, what's it called? Uh, charisma? Chemistry. Yeah, chemistry. We had chemistry, synchronicity. Yep. Yeah. No, it worked really well. Uh, worked really well. So anyway, uh, and they were going to have me come back and do it again this year, but it was canceled. Yeah. He got in touch with me. He said, Hey, Tom, we'd like to have you come back and host it again. I said, sure. But then it got canceled. So anyway, we'll see if they invite me back this year. I have a will. Yeah, I would. Do yeah, it. I would definitely do it. Yep. I would definitely do it if they invite me back again. 
Sure. Yeah, it looks like a fun award show. Yeah, it was. It was, and it was music. It was not not just acting. It was acting, music, and singing and dance. Acting, music, oh, singing, okay. and dance. Yes. And they had acts in between each award. They had somebody singing or doing a dance thing, or it was a whole thing they had you know put together. So that's why it wasn't easy to come in and mm-hmm. from the on the night before finding out the night before, and then not seeing the program. Uh, uh, until I got there that day, so I was I was honestly pretty nervous about it to tell you the truth. But um, I held I I just let my breath you know let my breath out, relax. I said okay, just just do it, and you know it, it worked out okay. So I'm thankful thankful about that. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, it looks like it was at the Miracle Theater in Inglewood. Yes, it was. Yep. That's where it was. Yeah. Yeah. There was like four or 500 people there. It was pretty big. Uh, like I said, once we got, once we got up there and got it going, it, it just kind of went, you know what I mean? And it was, it was great that uh, Sandra and I hit it off and we just played off each other. Like we knew each other forever. And honestly, yeah. I think that's why she cast me in her movie to tell you the truth. I think that was like my audition for her, you know? I mean, it's, it's funny, kind of funny looking back on it, but I think that had a lot to do with it. Yeah. I like that. That is very cool. Yeah, so you never know. Like, I think it's a good story to share here. I don't know who's how many people, who's going to be listening here, but I mean, um, assuming actors and actresses and entertainment people, uh, you just never know what might open the door. You know, you know what I mean in this crazy business. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, you know, you've been around. You've been around for a long time, so you know, you know what I'm saying. So. Um, oh yeah, we talked. You know my background. And, yep. You know, I kind of keep it very quiet, but that's opened a lot of doors. So I was going to ask about sure. New Hope. Festival. Yeah, New Hope, uh, New Hope Film Festival started over a breakfast conversation with my friend Doug Whipple back in 2000, early 2009. And mm-hmm. we were ta- actually talking about the business. Doug, Doug had worked on Wall Street for 12 years. He was a Wharton School of Business MBA, brilliant guy, one of the nicest people. And, uh, you know, I was talking to him about the business and joking with him saying that, you know, how hard, how hard it is to get work and, uh, yeah. and to get noticed. And I was kind of saying, yeah, it's like I'm still Tom who? Hey, get me Tom Mulligan. Tom who? You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. I said I was on the W list. Tom who? Right? Anyway, I was kind of joking with him. Anyway, and then we started talking about I had lived in New Hope for many years before I moved out here. And Doug was from the area as well. And we just started talking about the possibility of a film festival. And uh, next thing I know, a week later, I come back to California and Doug calls me up and says, hey, Tom, I went to my attorney. I incorporated the New Hope Film Festival. Let's do it. Oh and so gosh. I had I had this side of the business. I under, I knew festivals. I knew the business. Uh, Doug had the business side, you know, Wall Street, uh, Wharton School of Business MBA also. But when he was younger, he did some as a child, he did some child acting and he actually in his 26, some class acting classes in New York, uh, but never, never, uh, you know, fully pursued it. But anyway, so between the two of us, I think we had the right ingredients and we, we would talk, you know, four or five times a week. And we launched it in July of 2010 was the first year. And now headed into our 12th year here in 20, 2021. Wow. And is it in California? What's uh, what's that, Michelle? Is it out here in California? No, it's in New Hope, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. where I used to live. New Hope is a is a town is a very arty town. It's on the Delaware River, about forty five miles north of Philadelphia, and it's got a history okay. of the arts there. It's got the famous Bucks County Playhouse, where a lot of plays are produced and performed. Um, it had a couple of small theaters there, where I did a lot of theater in that town. For the years I was there, I was in plays pretty consistently. And um, a lot of uh, people in the entertainment industry live out there or have second homes out in that area. So it's a very arty community. And anyway, that's so that's how it got started over a 
a breakfast conversation in 2009. I mean, I never thought I'd be and helping to run a six- film festival. It never occurred to me that that would happen. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was an actor who was, ma- you know, and also making movies, submitting to film festivals, and never, never thought about starting a film festival. It just, it just kind of happened. So here we are, 12 years later, somehow still, still rolling. I love it. Yeah. If you were to give a new actor, somebody wanting to get into this business, any advice? What would you tell them other than run? Uh, well, <laughs> I, well, I would say if it's what you really want to do, do it. You know what I mean? But, you know, know that, you know, know what you're getting into. I, I, I was thinking of I actually shared something about this. Oh, earlier this year to some people. But when I started in 1980 in New York, the business was totally different. Right. It was there was no Internet. Right. There was no digital casting sites. There was none of that. It was hard copy photos and resumes, mail them out, right? Or pound the pavement, knock on doors, which I did a lot of. But now it's totally different. Mm-hmm. You have five, six, seven, eight, if not more, casting websites, right? People, mm-hmm. there's far more people trying to act now than ever before, right? Because of that. So I would just say, you know, start wherever you are. Uh, I, a woman actually contacted me on Facebook a couple of years ago who lived in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, which is out near Pittsburgh. And she said, hey, I've been following Mm -hmm. you. You look like you're doing some stuff. I've always wanted to act, but I live in a small town and I don't know how to get started. And I said, well, what about, I said, is there a community theater there? Oh yeah, I said, well, go audition for community theater or go to to Pittsburgh and register with Central Casting because you're about an hour drive from Pittsburgh. And I said, maybe you can do background work to get started. You know what I mean? But I would Mm -hmm. say, just, you know, if it's what you want to do, then then do it and go for it. But know that it's very competitive and there's a lot of rejection. Most of it is rejection, right? You, I'm sure you know that. Uh, can you, oh, gosh. Right. Yeah. Can you handle rejection? But if it's what you want to do, go for it. If you love acting, it's what you really want to do, go for it. And then, look, you could do you could live wherever you live and do community theater. You know what I mean? You don't have to try and make a career out of it. I mean, it could just be uh, it could be an advocation, right? You could be someone who does community theater. I have a lot of friends who just love doing community theater. They have no desire to be a professional actor, right? But they love doing plays. So it just depends what you want to do. You know what I mean, Michelle? Exactly. Um, yeah. So I would just say just if it's what you want to do, go for it. Take uh, you want to do acting films and go take some film acting classes on camera classes. You know, it's just uh, it just depends what, what, what you really want to do. And there's, there's many ways to get started. And like I said, it's a lot mm-hmm. easier now to get started because of all the digital casting and casting sites like, you know, Actors Access and LA Casting and Now Casting and Casting Frontiers. And people can submit themselves for projects. Yeah, right. exactly. Mm-hmm. And I find people do a lot. <clears throat> and if you get an agent, what would you suggest they avoid? As far as getting an agent? Yeah, because there are some really disreputable agents out there. Well, make sure it's a SAG franchise agency, first of all. That would be a good way to Mm -hmm. start because if they're SAG franchise, they're usually pretty safe. Don't go with an agency that's charging you money up front. You know what I mean? But usually if you get the the book, there's a book that lists all casting directors and agents, and they're usually all all usually uh, franchise agents, and that's, that's pretty safe. 
And it's, and it's not easy to get an agent. Um, my first agent that I ever got in New York, I started in 1980, right? And I kept trying to get agents, but I had very, the only credits I had were the theater credits from when I was a kid. And so they were all telling me, well, you didn't go, you know, you don't have enough credits. You don't have TV credits. You don't have this, you don't have that. You didn't go to American Academy of Dramatic Arts. You didn't go to Yale Drama School. I mean, I heard all kinds of stuff, right? You got a tough road to hoe, kid. You know, I heard stuff like that. You got a long road ahead of you. Anyway, uh, what happened was I booked a national commercial. This was in 1980, early 1983 for Coat Tylenol as a hockey player. I saw the ad, the casting notice. I self-submitted. I got called in and I booked it. And I, as soon as I found out I booked it, I called this agent up, this uh, Dorothy Palmer agency who I've been trying to get get signed with and she wouldn't sign me. And I said, Dorothy, I just want to let you know, um, I just booked the national commercial. What? How did you do that? I said, well, I submitted for this Coat Co Tylenol commercial as a hockey player. And I'm, I'm a good hockey player. Anyway, I booked it and I want to give you the booking, but I want you to sign me. And that's how I got my first agent. I love it. <laughs> oh, she loved it too, believe me. And she was great. I mean, she was so nice to me after that. And, you know, she was really putting me out there and really promoting me and everything else. But she was so nice. She said, wow, I can't, you know, it's so nice of you that you would do, you know, give me the booking and I didn't sign you before. I said, that's okay. I'm giving you the booking. She got 10% of it and I made, I made a few bucks, you know, and, but that's how I got my first agent. So what are you going to do when you have yeah, no experience, you have little experience, you don't have many credits, right? I, I got lucky. I booked the national commercial and I gave her the booking and, and that got me started. Now I've heard horror stories, which everybody should avoid. So I'll put it out there okay. now. There are certain agents who have said, oh, you need headshots, but only I can do them. And you have to pay me. Oh, no, and no, don't is... do that. And so what I've always heard, I, I don't know if it's still the same now, Michelle, but what I've always heard, especially back in New York, was agents are not even supposed to recommend photographers, okay? I mean, right. it's just a thing, right? You don't, you don't recommend photographers. And I've always, I've always heard that. So if an agent says they're going to do the photos, you have to pay them, they're probably not a legitimate agent. Exactly. And I've had friends who this, that has happened to. I said, you know, how, do they, are they a sad franchisee? Right. They say they are. File a complaint. Well, what you got to do is you got to. Well, so okay, so if you if you're not sure that they are and they're not on the book listed of, of all the agents, then you call SAG and you find out. Very simple. Call SAG and say, hey, is this agency SAG franchise? And they will they will tell you exactly. So that's I would say that's the key yeah, like thing. A- Just make sure it's a SAG franchise agency. You know what I mean? And that should be pretty safe. And that doesn't mean look. I would say 95, 90, almost 98% of the work I'm getting, I'm getting on my own, yeah. through my own efforts. My own, but I am at it every day. I'm at this every day. I'm sending stuff out every day. I'm marketing. I'm posting on Facebook and Instagram. And I'm taking, doing meetings. I had a meeting today with a producer from LA about some upcoming projects. Not, I'm nothing definite, but uh, we had a nice meeting and he got to know me better and, you know, Uh, things like that. So that's what you have to do. You have to promote yourself. You have to promote yourself, you know, in a nice way, humble way, you know, you know what I mean? Uh, But that's, that's it. That's what you have to do in order to just have a chance to survive or to, to do things. Well, like you said, it is not an easy business. No. And believe me, I've many times have woken up many mornings over the years, Michelle, and I, I, I think, you know what, I'm done. I am so done with this. I'm not getting another headshot. I'm not taking another class. I am done. And then you know what happens? The call comes. <laughs> hey, Tom, we got this film we're doing. We got this role that we think you might be right for. We'd like you to read for it. You know, it's like, oh, here we go again. Okay. <laughs>
And it's a great role and it's a great read. And yeah, then I wound up getting the role and then I'm back. Now I'm back in again. I'm, and then, of course, things go good for a while. And then all of a sudden, you can't book anything. You can't get anything. You know what I mean? And then it's like, oh, I'm done. You know, it, it's just like like a cycle. But the truth is, I love acting yeah. and I'll, I'm, I'm sure I'll always do it as long as I can do it. So and do the best I can with it. Now, how can we find you on social media? Well, there's, um, well, IMDb, right? I'm on IMDb, Tom Michael Mulligan. Right. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook uh, under Tom Michael Mulligan. Because we are Facebook friends. Yes. And um, Twitter. I found you on Twitter. Yes, I'm on Twitter too, although I don't use Twitter very much because it's hard enough keeping up with Instagram and Facebook now. So I rarely use mm -hmm. Twitter, although I know Doug does for the festival, uses Twitter a lot. It's just, it's almost too much. Like what I try to do, Michelle, is I try to respond to anybody that anybody who comments on my post, I try to comment back. Okay. But I, I got to mm -hmm. tell you, it's getting harder and harder to do because I'm getting way more comments, way more likes, way more, you know, on Instagram too. I, it's almost like, it's almost getting to a point where I can't keep up with it. But I try, I'm trying to do my best to, to respond to anybody and especially people who follow me on a regular basis or or comment on my work and are always you know give kind comments i always try to say something nice back to them and i you know i appreciate their support because it you know it makes you feel good right that they're encouraging you and so i feel like i owe it to respond mm -hmm. and i do my best to keep up with that yeah that's a job in itself <laughs> yeah i spent a lot of i know I, my friend today they're making fun of me right at hockey because i take my phone on the bench and I'm always looking at it in between shifts. And today they were really giving me a hard time about my hockey, but none of them are actors, right? Like, you you actors, you're all alike. Uh, you're all into yourself. You're all on your phone all the time. Uh, you shouldn't even be playing hockey, you know. They're just giving me a hard time, you know. Anyway. <laughs> but you, that's what you got to do to keep and, – and sometimes calls come and people want to hear from you pretty quickly. You know what I mean? As I've learned over the years, cause I've, I've missed out on some things. Because I didn't respond fast enough to something. Because mm -hmm. you know, sometimes, you know, I'm sure you know, too. sometimes things come up and they want you like yesterday, right? Oh, I answer every phone call. Right. Because I don't know who it is. And sometimes out of 10, it's spam. But that one time right. it could be. Whatever right. If they for. don't get you, like if they reach out to you and they don't get you right away, they may go to someone else. If it's something they need to fill quickly. You know what I mean? Yeah. A couple of my producer friends in L.A. told me that that that's like sometimes stuff comes up on, on the fly on a project and or somebody gets sick or somebody, you know, whatever. Or they decide to write in something real quick on a roll and they got to bring somebody in quick. And so that's why I always have my phone on the bed. Even when I skate, I have my phone sitting there on a, on a little ledge so I can keep I can watch it. I know it's kind of funny, but that's what I do. So, uh. <laughs> you know, I have my phone. And I always have clean clothes, always have a change of clothes and a set bag packed. Yeah. You know, that's, I, I used to do that. I don't, haven't done that in a long time, but I need to start doing that again. Like a pair of jeans, a nice dress shirt, maybe a sports jacket. I used to carry stuff like that all the time, but I haven't for a long time. Maybe partly it's because of COVID. You know what I mean? Maybe. Yeah. But yeah, that's definitely good to carry that kind of stuff. So you have a, a, a like a casual look and maybe a, a business casual look or you know or something else you know what i mean that's actually what i have with me well i got to get back on that then yeah i keep it in my trunk okay 
because of COVID, you know, like you, I've worked a lot, mm-hmm. but um, I always made sure I had that with me in case of any emergency. Right. But anyway, I'm going to wrap this up. Okay. Very but good. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for, you know, letting me come on here and, and share my thoughts about things. I really appreciate it. And I, I loved it. It's a lot of fun and very, I feel very, very la- relaxed doing it with you and having a conversation with you. So it's been a lot of fun. It has been. And I hope to do this again soon. Oh, that would be great. Anytime. And hopefully, um, you know, some of the things I shared will help somebody, hopefully. So I'm positive it will. Okay. Okay. And I'll talk to you soon then. Thank you again. Okay, Michelle. Have a nice evening. Thank you. You too. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.